Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kim Barra Show. I am your host, Kim Barra, and on today's episode, we have the amazing Mr. Carmen. Now, Carmen is going to run through how do you actually flip a marketing funnel on its head? That's right, he's going to flip the whole world when it comes to marketing funnels. He's also going to give you the number one recipe when it comes to old fashioned. So you're gonna to need to make sure that you tune in for this one, whether it's just for your cocktail recipe or whether it be to find out about how you can flip marketing on its head. This is the episode for you. And of course, if you ever need help with your marketing and you want us to do that for you, head over to mogulcall.com and we'll be there to solve all your needs. But until then, let's jump into the show. Thank you so much for making the time to join us today. I really appreciate it. Look, it's a, it's a real pleasure to be joining you. Yeah, it was great to have you. Now, I always like to ask the same question every single time at the start of my podcast, which is if we, you and I were at a party together and we started chatting and you know going into things and I was like, come, what is it that you actually do? What's your go-to answer? Whew. That's a really good first question. I should have maybe listened to more previous podcasts. I would have had a better, more prompt answer. Uh, my apologies. If I had to say, if I were trying to give my elevator pitch about Cool Partners, I would be saying, well, we, you know, we're a marketing agency that helps manufacturers digitally transform their marketing and sales apparatus and compete more effectively in today's world. But if somebody asked me about that personally, which is probably how I would take it if it were being asked at a party, I would say all I really do is talk to people. And it's about the only thing I truly feel I know how to do. And not that I say I'm doing it better than anybody else, but I feel like, I don't know, it's about the only thing I do is really talk to people all day, every day. I have all these people that work for me that are these incredibly talented folks, you know, front-end developers that know crazy front-end fr- emerging front-end frameworks that I couldn't possibly begin to understand or, or, or just savvy as all get out marketing strategists. That, and I, I, my, I, my job is to try to make their work better, but man, it gets harder every day. And I feel that the only thing I can do in lieu of helping that is talk a bit. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I love that. And now I'd love to go down the vein. So obviously before every podcast, I always ask people like anything that they want to kind of touch in and dive into. And you mentioned something about how the traditional marketing front end funnel was kind of almost a little bit dead or a bit disjointed. I'd love to dive into what, what you think about that and what that means to you. Yeah. First things first, I guess. The one thing how we choose to view things or how we choose to view a particular situation or a problem often changes the solutions we find uh, along that path. Anybody that's ever had the misfortune of working for me, they've heard me say the person that frames the debate wins the debate. But oddly, I think that that's kind of true with yourself in terms of how you choose to frame a problem for yourself it also determines who wins on that problem. So when I think about marketing writ large, and I think about B2B marketing more specifically, if there's one kind of mental model that has really framed the last five to 10 years, it's been that of the funnel. So 
I find that for the majority of B2B businesses, the notion of funnel thinking leads them down some very misguided paths and it leads them to think of the of a reality that actually doesn't exist. So what do I mean when I, I, I say that, I guess, could be your next question. Well, the first things first is, is that the funnel thinking leads you to think that in some ways there's an unlimited number of people that you can throw into the top of the funnel. All you need to do is rank for more keywords, write some more blog posts, uh, buy more paid search or whatever, and you're going to throw more and more and more people into that top of funnel. Well, the manufacturers that I work for, for some of them, they couldn't add 10 new customers next year. Every new customer is two to five million bucks, and they have a bunch of existing ones that are on 10-year, 15-year relationships, and the sales cycles are 24, 36 months long, and their total addressable market is maybe there's 2,000 people in the world that can buy from them or 3,000 people in their total addressable area geographically that can buy from them. So they have a very limited total addressable market. But yet, if they were to approach their marketing efforts through that funnel lens, it, it leads them down this really messed up path of in decreasingly effective traffic attraction mechanisms that are increasingly more noise and less signal when they arrive at the site and converting less and less and less. It's a really, it's a flawed mental framework, the funnel in my view, that leads to so many bad decisions. And, and the first one is really that myth of the unlimited top of funnel. And, and you, where you'll see that really come home to roost is in organizations, I wish I could say this person's name because it's such a great electronics manufacturer. But I was talking to a head marketer at a conference a little over a year ago or within the last year or so. I, I was talking about this kind of what this leads to is this disconnect between MQL and SQL. And he's like, man, like, 2% of my MQLs are actually considered SQLs by my sales team. And here I am incenting this big demand gen team to do a bunch of traditional digital marketing efforts that aren't at all focused on the target accounts that can actually buy from us. And all it's led to is this big MQL to SQL gap. Marketing qualified to sales qualified lead gap. They get so large to the point where the sales organization no longer trust anything marketing says and no longer wants to look at any lead marketing sends them. And so that's, that's, that's where the funnel inevitably leads. Whereas to the contrary, if you take some other approaches, you can start in a world where every MQL is also an SQL, but maybe we'll get there. But I've only talked about one flaw of the funnel and there's a bunch of others, but yeah, does any I of that make sense or resonate or? It, it, it does. And I, and I think it's it, even just the, the phraseology and the terminology that people use around it because it's, it's confusing. You've got also got obviously people out there like Russell Brunson who owns ClickFunnels and it's talking about a funnel being the, the, the pages and the process you take people through. And then you've got people that are thinking of the funnel as in the full process from kind of like top, middle, bottom out to customers and whatnot as well, which is, is confusing. And I know I was chatting with a, uh, a client the other day and, she, and I could tell she's like getting super confused because she's like starts talking about how we're funneling people to do this, this, and this. And I was like, hang on, 
I think we're like the, the nomenclature and the terms are just too overwhelming right now because you're confusing this with this, with this, with this, and it doesn't make any sense what you've just said to me. And I was like, so let's <laughs> break these down. Let's get rid of that term for now. And let's just talk about, we have some landing pages. We have our sequences that we want to take people through. And then we have where, where people are at in our business cycle. But let's just start with that and keep it simple. Yeah. And try to talk in crazy. human language, right? <laughs> yeah. Man, do we ever get bogged down in the lingo in this game? Oh yeah, because so everyone likes to make themselves feel smart, right? And it's like, <laughs> but but you but you also forget. Like even I was going to be like, I'm going to have to ask you in a second MQL and SQL because I, I I was always getting a little bit lost there because <laughs> I don't I don't use that phraseology. But if you use it every day, you're like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that is. Yeah. Well, so so yeah, I mean that's HubSpot, admittedly at least very much on this side of the pond, as it were, has uh, you know led a lot of that conversation around funnel thinking. I'm not saying that they're guilty of being the ones that brought it to life, but and certainly marketing qualified lead, sales qualified lead would be common terminology and a lot of people in that kind of more inbound space. Well, what's interesting, we talk about kind of terminology getting in the way. The other one, and kind of points to a second funnel flaw, if you will, is if you're bringing people in and you're, qualifying them as marketing qualified, which basically you say, are they the type of organization and the type of title or person that would buy from us? That equals an MQL. Okay, great. Then great. The demand gen team, the marketing team gets a check, uh, uh, you know, a star on the report card as it were. And then the next step is to qualify that MQL. Maybe you nurture it, what have you, but at some point you're seeking to qualify it to make it an SQL. And the qualification is almost always used, uh, people talk about, and, and to, so another piece of lingo, as you say, is, is band, right? Budget, authority, need, and timeline. Well, in a world where you only have two or 3,000 companies that you can sell to, or even if you only have fifteen or 20,000 companies that you can sell to, it, it, is that really a world where you can just ignore people that don't have budget today? Like that notion of bant, I think is completely bunk. You know, it, it just doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense, especially in a world where not only do you have a limited total addressable market, but that engineer that you're trying to sell to at automobile manufacturer X is going to be an engineer at automobile manufacturer Y in 18 months and may well have budget authority need and timeline then. So, this notion is like everybody in the sales and marketing game, especially sales, likes to talk about, oh, it's a relationship game now. You know, it's all about the relationship. And then the next thing you hear is that bant or else I'm not going to talk to you. Well, which is it? So I think that funnel thinking where we kind of almost assume it doesn't matter how many people we turn our back on, there's always going to be more on the top of funnel and a certain percentage are going to be MQL and a certain percentage are going to be SQL and we only have to work our numbers. It just... That's one other example of how it just doesn't fit a B2B business with a limited total addressable market. Mm. So then what's the answer? What's the solution then that you should be, that people should be thinking after hearing that they're going cool. Maybe even though they may even have a huge actually addressable market, but they're going, I'm getting more, I'm getting lots of people that are qualified from the marketing perspective, but that gap, as you said earlier, between the the sales qualified leads is, is, is broadening. What like what's a few things people should be thinking about or looking at to, to kind of reduce that gap? Well, let's flip that funnel on its head. Let's think of it as a pyramid versus a funnel potentially. 
And let's start with the end in mind, which is to say, let's identify those companies that fit our ideal customer profile and know who we want to speak to before we ever speak to them. It's amazing to me how many marketers and how many salespeople you talk to that do not know and do not have a target account list. They don't have one in marketing, and they certainly haven't assigned a target account list across their sales organization. So they, they have this investment, millions of dollars of outside salespeople going around, and they're just hoping they run into people in the coffee shop. But you can work through an ideal customer profile. Create the list of the people that at least the organizations that you know would be an SQL tomorrow. So let's start with every MQL being an SQL. And the reason we know that is because we define who we're going to market to at the start. And then let's take an account-based approach to marketing to that organization. So where we've used to have to go is one step further once you identified that organization, you needed to go and find the person. And then the outside sales guy, usually a guy, admittedly, but not always, the outside salesperson would then, you know, uh, essentially knock on the door long enough to get a meeting with that person that you knew was who you needed to meet with. Well, in today's day and age, you can stop short of that, which, by the way, is a good thing because oftentimes those contacts are fairly transient these days. People aren't staying in jobs as long as they used to. And not only that, but the whether it's GDPR or here in Canada, Castle or other restrictions around reaching out to people also make it more and more difficult to initiate sales conversations with people who you haven't met otherwise. So in today's day and age, start at the ICP, identify the target list of companies, and then build out an account-based marketing approach that allows you to advertise into those specific companies, into the specific departments that you need to reach, into the specific departments that make up the buying committee that you need to influence, and then nurture them through to a point of conversion and eventual sales engagement. Start from with the end in mind, start as a pyramid versus a funnel and know who you want to talk to before you ever try to talk to them. And I think that is the way forward. That's the, that is the answer to, to the funnel flaws, if you will. Yeah. And I think even, even when you're saying that, it's like, that would be, that's the same for even a B2C because it's like, you still need to have that approach where you have the targeted people that you want to work with. And albeit you might have several funnels if you're B2C because you might have a couple of different vertical angles that you would have on the audiences that you should work with. But I think that's a pretty, like that's pertinent really for any business, like especially in online marketing, like you have to have almost an approach like that these days. Yeah, but in B2C, of course, it's about understanding your audience and understanding the lookalike audiences, the demographics of that audience, et cetera. Of course, in a B2B context, you go one step above that to the firmographic information around, is this an organization that can buy from me? And then what are the personas within it? It does change the, the targeting required. Most of digital marketing is built around B2C demographic level targeting and psychographic level targeting as well, for that matter. But most of the digital marketing infrastructure uh, that we think of when we say digital marketing isn't oriented towards serving ads into companies or into the engineering department of a manufacturing organization, as an example. 
that's the purview of platforms like Terminus and others that are, are really leading the way in uh, helping B2B marketers not have to spill budget talking to everybody, but rather focus their energies on their total addressable market and that target account list within it. So what, what's your opinion then on people that are working with small businesses? So they might not be going for then a specific department, but let's just say that you work with a company size of less than 10 people, service-based type industry. Do you, do you think it's the same approach or should you be using a more traditional, almost like the B2C model when it comes to those types of, in fact, those types of businesses? Well, a bit of the split, I think, is B2B versus B2C, but I think that B2B approach can be, you know, if you're a professional services organization, this B2B approach is more potentially more relevant to you than obviously a B2C one. You know, does that mean that an account-based advertising platform and approach is a one-size-fits-all endeavor? No, but I do think if you're looking to sell to other businesses, inevitably, you have to answer the question, how do I find people and sell to people that I don't know today? And and frankly, that aren't connected to anybody else that I know today. And how am I going to get that level of reach? And if it's a B2B sale and you're trying to use B2C channels, what you end up with is frankly a lot of budget spill over time. Whereas you, you kind of reach a threshold where it makes more sense to get more focused by implementing an ABA platform. I'll, I'll use a very self-reference criteria here at Kula Partners at our agency. So we're, we're a small business, you know, we're 15, 16 people focused on serving manufacturers. So we serve bigger businesses, to be fair, and they're certainly not a B2C in nature. Now, in trying to reach those businesses, if we were to advertise exclusively, let's say, on a platform like LinkedIn, the good news for us would be marketers over-index and being active on LinkedIn. So if we're trying to reach the marketing department, chances are they tend to be more active than the engineering department, for instance, on LinkedIn. But still in all, because of LinkedIn's advertising rules, you need to have X number of organizations. What is it, 1,000? No, uh, no, for LinkedIn, I think it's only 300. But you need to have you know, X number of people that you're trying to show those ads to, right? When in reality, as we looked at it, for our own advertising and trying to generate demand within LinkedIn, the, the cost per, per click uh, arriving at like $20, $21 per click and two-thirds of those clicks going to not even the destination you want the clicks to go to, it just doesn't fit. Like you're going to spill budget left, right, and center. You, you could go – we went through a bit of an experiment and we could have easily spent five to 10000 bucks a week and almost shown nothing – now, you contrast that with employing a platform like Terminus. Sure, maybe it costs you $30,000 to stand up the platform or to access the service, but then your per week cost in targeting only the people you want to speak to rather than spraying out all that budget, your per week cost in terms of your CPM goes down to almost nothing. Like we, you know, it's, it's kind of the difference between spending 5000 a week and spending 250 a week. Um, it's that magnitude of difference. So you do reach a point where it's worthwhile to invest in the platform and the technology that enables that level of specificity in the targeting, uh, and, and it drops your media spend dramatically. It does throw complete, a wrench completely into a lot of the traditional metrics around 
media spend that people use to calibrate whether or not they're being appropriate in their buys. So tell me, just because I've, I've never, I would have always thought, yeah, cool. If I'm going down that route that you're going, LinkedIn would be the approach that I have being on that. I'm a, I'm a Facebook and Instagram ads type guy. So Terminus, what is that? And then where are they placing ads for you then? So an account-based advertising platform, and let's not make this an advertisement for Terminus. I mean, it, it, we are, interested full disclosure, we're, we're an agency partner for Terminus, but we also remain very tech agnostic. We, we happen to be a HubSpot partner as well, but we've implemented, I think, across 12 or 15 different marketing automation platforms as an agency. So in some ways, pick our favorites, but it doesn't mean that they're exclusive. All that to say, whether it's Terminus or other platforms, what are they doing? Well, on the targeting side, they are placing GDPR-compliant tracking pixels across the most popular websites on the planet. So they've negotiated the placement of those pixels, and they're tracking form fills, and they're tracking, tracking web visits and web behavior to create a profile of organizations and the people within them. So over time, they get to say, oh, that's Jim works for BASF. And then after a few more forum fills or a few more different pieces of behavior that they're able to triangulate, ah, Jim is actually in the engineering department of BASF. Oh, Jim is actually a senior member of the engineering department. He's actually fairly high up. So that's the kind of information on the targeting level that an account-based advertising platform helps that, that essentially accumulates. And then they leverage, in Terminus's case, approximately 50 different display networks, and they serve ads against that target via those display networks. So what does that mean in reality? It means that instead of just seeing your target, if you're trying to find an engineer, and then you're going to try to advertise to an engineer on LinkedIn, and they are never there, instead of that, you're actually going to see that engineer that you're trying to advertise to when they're checking the sports scores on their morning news. So they're there having a coffee, checking their sports score, and you're serving them up a display ad that's directly related to them and their organization. So that fundamental component is account-based advertising, and then the other piece that's brought into it is intent data. So when you triangulate that with intent data, you can then say, I'm only going to serve up or I'm going to change what I advertise to people based upon the intent that they're showing. So in Terminus's case, they partner with Bombora, and they offer Bombora's intent data within their platform. So to give you a very, again, inside baseball example of what we do, I guess if any competitors listening, go ahead. But if you're, we, we work with manufacturers, and frankly, 98% of manufacturing marketers, about the last thing they would ever want to do is redesign their website because it's almost a career-ending fucking endeavor. You can maybe blitz out the curse word that I just used in your edit. But it's like literally, they're like, oh my God, to get this through an organization, my organization is going to be a monumental task and I may lose my job through the course of it. As an agency, one of our the things that we're best at, frankly, is redesigning websites for manufacturers. So we're best at something that 98% of our target group on any given day has zero interest in. So we monitor that target group with intent data around website redesign. And when they're showing intent data around that, that's when we show them ads related to our website redesign guide, which is like 15,000 words or so that my business partner wrote 
which is about 14,999 more words than anybody else on the planet has ever written about redesigning a manufacturing website. But if we showed that to everybody, most would not care. But that intent platform allows us to get more signal to noise, right? So that's really the, the, the what's at play with a, with a platform like Terminus. Mm, that's awesome. I love that. So, yeah, for, for anyone that's looking for those, that real specific, as you said, it, it makes sense for something like that. If you're looking for those specific people that you might not have, it's, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of, of businesses you're trying to get in front of, it's, it's really specific, then that, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, absolutely. I like I, and look, I, I mean, I don't know your business at all. I get the impression that you're somewhat in the agency space as well, from what I, uh, at least a quick look. My challenge to you, where you were a client, is I would say, okay, well, who are the 20 organizations that you really want to work for? Like, because chances are, you know, if we think about that correctly, you could almost make a firm out of those 20 organizations if you're able to close them all, right? So I think for so many organizations, that is the case. A focus is the order of the day, but they just don't choose to do it. And, and part of what doesn't lead us to choose, make that choice is that funnel framework that we start with. So if we start from a different place, will, I think, end up in a better place. Yeah, 100%. No, I love that. Now, I always like to uh, kind of finish with one, one question as well, which is what's one question that I didn't ask you that I should have? You should have asked me my house recipe for the perfect old-fashioned. All right, that's what I'm, that's what I'm going. And I've, I've seen you, in, and I'm, I'm just jealous that it's, only, uh, it's 7 o'clock here and you're, at the, you're at, in the evening, so I can't have one. What's the perfect old-fashioned recipe? Well, now I will say one thing I, as a Canadian I've always liked about Australians. I've always said that I think you guys are just kind of like warm Canadians. Like we're cold because it's freezing here half the time, but you guys are just warmer. But we're otherwise the same, which is to say – most Canadians and most Australians can be persuaded to take a drink. So with that in mind, in my view, now I call my house, I call it the Strong and Stirred uh, Cocktail Lounge at at any point uh, beyond about uh, 4 p.m. Our household fashioned here is uh, three ounces of Rittenhouse rye, which is poured over, what we start with is a raw sugar cube that is soaked in about four dashes, maybe five, of Peychaud bitters, which is normally in a Sazerac, not in old-fashioned, but Peychaud bitters over the sugar cube, a dash, maybe two, of Regan's orange, and then I, 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 this is a secret sauce. Take some boiling hot water. I happen to have it out of an espresso machine, but even if you just have a really hot water, hot tap, you know, Take a, a, about a quarter shot of hot water and, and dissolve that cube a bit. Muddle that. Put your three ounces of Rittenhouse, which is a great overproof Pennsylvania rye that is 100 proof, so 50% alcohol, enough to get you through the night. And then you stir that together. Serve over one large ice cube with an orange peel. There you go, my friend. I like it. I like it. I'm definitely going to be going to the shops to pick up some ingredients tonight to make sure that. Uh, <laughs> See, people thought they were getting a marketing podcast, but they're actually getting a drinks podcast, which I think is a two for one benefit here. Oh, it's a double. And it's like we, the other week, I had on a guy who makes natural corn chips with flavor. So we also learned 
how to naturally flavor nacho cheese into corn chips. So this is just the podcast that keeps giving. So we get uh, all sorts here. <laughs> Drink recipes, nice. nacho recipes, all, all things. I love that. And now if anyone's heard this and they're like, look, I, I want to find out more about what Carmen and all the partners are up to. What's the best place for people to connect with you to find out more about what you guys are up to? Look, we would not be a very good online and slash digital agency if I couldn't just point you to our website. So go to coolapartners.com. That's K-U-L-A partners.com. And uh, you can find everything you need to know about us. That would be a great starting point. Beautiful. Easy done. So guys, wherever you're listening or watching, we'll, we'll link that up in the show notes as well. And I might say, if I could be a bit promotional, we also host a podcast called The Cooler Ring, which is focused on manufacturing marketers. So, and really telling the stories of manufacturing marketers and helping to kind of unpack what it excites them about their work and what they're finding interesting and new these days. I, I think it's a real hole in the marketplace, honestly. I think that manufacturing marketers could stand to learn from each other and they and maybe played second fiddle to their B2C counterparts for far too long. I would encourage anybody in a B2B space to maybe check out that podcast and let me know what you think. I'd love to hear. Yeah, awesome. We'll link that in the show notes as well. So guys, wherever you're looking in, make sure you jump on and, and click through, check out the show notes and click through to those uh, the podcast and the sites. And if you know anyone that's in manufacturing or in manufacturing marketing, they can direct them to this episode. Please make sure you do go and share this with them as well. Welcome. I really appreciate you making the time today and uh, thank you so much for joining us. An absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Cheers.